Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. sunshine when she's gone she's always gone too long anytime she goes away sunshine lollipops and rainbows everything that's wonderful is what i feel when we're together here comes the sun here comes the sun and i say it's all right it's like the sun Michael Preston. Don't let the sun go down on me. I bet you guys can't wait to come to karaoke with me. I really can't. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour Sun Bowl edition. We will do another show before the bowl game, but this is just kind of the the edition before the Sun Bowl after we took last week off, which I promise... I swear to God, was always the plan. We didn't just take it off because the Cougs got molly whooped in the Apple Cup. And we're not going to talk about that game either because it happened so freaking long ago. We always planned to take last week off because we've now moved into the West Seattle studios of the Cougs Center Hour. We moved from the Greenwood studios to West Seattle studios. Mrs. Golden Throat and I have moved. We're now in West Seattle rather than Greenwood. So life just got a little hectic last week. You'll beg pardon. So it's been hectic this week, but uh, we'll get a show out here for you. Jacob Thorpe going to be talking about Washington State University, where they stand going into this bowl game injury-wise, although he doesn't know a lot, uh, obviously, just because of the way the coaches um, uh, kind of hide that information from him. Not that he isn't a smart guy. He's a very smart dude. Uh, we'll talk to Jacob Thorpe about where everybody stands, just about this team, their overall mindset going into the Sun Bowl versus the Miami Hurricanes. And uh, then, as usual, we'll do our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything. Two fantastic segments coming up, as per usual. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about, I, I guess, you know, when everything was going around the bend on Sunday. I, and I was We were moving that day, but luckily we'd hired movers, so I didn't have... As much work to do, which by the way, if you're ever thinking about moving and you've never done it with movers, do it with movers. <laughs> like, please, dear God, do it with movers. Um, I was following the roundabout on the Bulls and where everybody was going. And I will say, even though USC's proximity to San Diego is close, I was still pretty surprised uh, that at 8-5 and five and not a terribly attractive team from an excitement standpoint uh, got invited to the Holiday Bowl. I understand it's a brand. I get that. Uh, still a little surprising. We always knew WSU wasn't bound for the Foster Farms Bowl. That was going to be UCLA. So it really came down to the Sun Bowl or the Las Vegas Bowl with the Utah Utes fans. And by the way, if you spend any time on Twitter the last week or so, I, I have a whole new appreciation for my distaste for Utah fans. Man, those people think a lot of themselves and their football team. I have a whole new appreciation for my dislike of Utah Ute fans. But when WSU gets invited to the Sun Bowl, and I, you know, I understand it from the perspective of if you want to go to the football game, it's not a great option. And you know, usually the Sun Bowl is not the day after Christmas. Uh, the semifinals being on New Year's Eve necessitated pushing it to the day. Uh, pushing it up to the day after Christmas. So I understand from that standpoint, it's not the most desirable thing in the world to get. But I guess I kind of came around to this kind of viewpoint eventually on it, and it is that if you could tell me that after losing to Portland State, if you had told me at the beginning of the year that this football team was going to lose to Portland State, was going to get their ass kicked in the Apple Cup, and they were still going to go to the Sun Bowl, would we have taken that? Like... If if A was going to happen, you get B. Would you, you know, or rather not, 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 uh, if A would happen, then you do get B. You know, like you don't want that to happen. But if A was guaranteed to happen and you get B, we would have all taken that, right? Like if, if both of those things were for sure, 
that if you were for sure going to lose to Portland State and UW in the fashion that you did, and but if you did that, you got to go to the Sun Bowl, I would be pretty stinking happy with that. I'd be pretty freaking happy with going to the Sun Bowl. And it, it, the Sun Bowl, you know, I know a lot of people will say, you know, it's uh, lower tier bowls, they all just kind of run together, but the Sun Bowl's pretty, presti- not, not prestigious maybe, but it's it's got a lot of history. WSU's been to it before. They were there in 2001. They beat Purdue. It's got a really long history in El Paso, and it's one of the cooler uh, bowl games. And if it had been later in the month, maybe Uncle Vern could have called it, which would have been amazing. I would have loved Vern Lundquist to call the game. It's Carter Blackburn instead. We do still have to deal with Gary Danielson, which I'm not thrilled about. But if if you had told me at the beginning of the year when this team was sitting at 2-2 two and two after that Cal game that they were going to end up in the Sun Bowl, I would have called you insane. I, I mean, I really. I mean, if we're really looking at it. I mean, A, you should be grateful for anything you get after the start to that season. Really, I mean, you should be grateful for anything. But B... The fact that you got into an automatic Pac-12 bowl, a bowl that the Pac-12 automatically sends a team to, is amazing. That you didn't have to get an at-large bowl. That you didn't have to deal with, you know, trying to scrape together a bowl and playing some, you know, like U-Dubs playing Southern Miss. Whoopie-doo. I mean, like, <laughs> who gives a damn about that? But Washington State not only got into the Sun Bowl... They get to play a program that is pretty prestigious in college football. Maybe not right now uh, with firing Al Golden, but Miami did just hire Mark Richt. They're playing a lot better. And you get to play a team that's got a lot of history. You get to play the U, man. You get to play Miami, the Hurricanes. You get to play the U. You got all those great players that have come through Miami. Melissa McGahee. Willie McGinnist. Not Keyshawn Johnson. I don't know why I was thinking Keyshawn Johnson. He went to USC. I don't know why I was thinking Keyshawn. Michael Irvin. You got all these really great players that went through Miami. And it's like, yeah, man. This is pretty freaking cool, right? It's pretty, pretty cool to be playing to be playing the U. Even in a year when they're they're down and they're not playing as well and you know they're not as good, it's still really cool to play the U, especially because WSU's never played them before. So if you had told me all of that at the beginning of the year that Washington State was going to lose to Portland State, they were going to lose to Washington in that manner, but they're going to make it to the Sun Bowl. I mean that's that's pretty incredible. And I understand the displeasure with not going to the Holiday Bowl. And I I really do get kind of feeling slighted by that. But isn't a lot of that fixed by the fact... You don't even have to lose to UW. You you can even still lose the Apple Cup. Maybe just don't lose it by 35 points. I mean, mean, that's the solution, right? Is to not get absolutely humiliated in the last data point that bowl committees have to look at. Don't get absolutely run off the field. I mean that 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 would have helped things, right? I, I can't I I can be upset with the Holiday Bowl taking the easy way out and taking USC, but then again, I can't really be that upset with it because you know all, all you got to do is not get your butt absolutely kicked in your last game, and that probably becomes a possibility. But Bill Moose said, you know, a couple weeks ago, we're not going to fall any farther or any lower than the Sun Bowl. He said that uh, last week. You know, we're not going to fall any further than the Sun Bowl. And sure enough, we didn't. They're in the Sun Bowl. And it's a, you know, a relatively prestigious bowl. I think the thing that, you know, like I've been saying, you know, if you talk about this at the beginning of the year, it's just, it's wacky that this, you know, you would ever think this could happen. And those incredible wins, you come back at Rutgers on that last second drive, the comeback against Oregon, the comeback against UCLA. This team's shown a lot of resiliency. Luke Falk practiced this week, so it looks like he's going to be ready to go here in about two weeks. We don't know about Joe Dahl. We don't know about River Craycraft. But I think Andre Dillard's held up well at left tackle in Joe Dahl's absence. You know, Obviously, you never want to lose a guy who's an All-American First team, all Pac-12, as was evidenced by Luke Falk's absence. 
Uh, and River Craycraft's always a wonderful safety net to have. But I think that this team has proven. I think the one nice thing is that when you look at this team in years past, if those type of injuries to those types of players had happened, it, it would have been almost disastrous because of the lack of depth this team had. But Andre Diller slid in, took over. And then one of the nice things about Mike Leach's air raid system is that the wide receivers are, you know, you have so many wide receivers that are catching passes that any of them can really come in at any time and fill in. Kyle Sweet and Tyler Baker have done an admirable job filling in for River Craycraft. Would it be nice to have River? You bet. I would love to have River Craycraft. I would much rather have River Craycraft than not have him. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if you don't, you're still in relatively good shape. I said before the season, the the really disastrous player to lose, other than Luke Falk, on the offense is Gabe Marks. And if Gabe's not healthy to play in this game, uh, you know that's probably not an excellent thing. You lose your best playmaker on the offensive side of the ball. The guy who you can always depend on, you throw the ball to him, he's going to catch, he's going to go up and get that football no matter where it is. And let's talk, I want to close this opening segment out a little bit by talking about uh, Gabe Marks. And, you know, we don't know the extent of that injury, probably something to do with his ankle. You know, we hear various reports from folks who are on campus, students or instructors or whatever, anybody working for the university. And, you know, is Gabe in a boot? Is he not in a boot? Is he walking with it some days? Is he walking with it without other days? And I, I think for me... <clears throat> Excuse me. It, you know, w- regardless of whether he plays in this game or not, I, I want him to do what's best for him when it comes to this, the the decision he's going to have to make after this game is whether he wants to go uh, try his hand at the NFL draft, and a lot of it's probably going to depend on that draft grade he gets from the NFL. But you see a kid who, a I adore on Twitter. If you don't follow him on Twitter, throw it up to nine. Excuse me again. This kid is really funny. And he's taking on the personality of Mike Leach. He doesn't like being slighted. Doesn't like it when people don't pay attention to how good he is because he's a damn good receiver. And I don't blame him for that, quite frankly. He's one of he's probably the best receiver in the conference, or he's up there. I want him to do what is best for him. And selfishly, I want him to come back to WSU. And I acknowledge that it's completely selfish on my part to want, excuse me, to want that. But I want him to do what's best for him. You saw the effort he put into the Apple Cup. That play where he got hurt, he was fighting for extra yardage, and they were down, what, 28 at that point? In the fourth quarter? This kid has no quit. He has absolutely no quit. And he wants so hard to fight for every yard there is and to do his best to get his team back in this game even though they're down four friggin' touchdowns. I, you can't not admire that in someone. The will to carry on and to just screw this, I'm going to keep fighting. So I want Gabe to do what's best for him after this year. If what's best for him is coming back to Washington State trying to improve his draft stock... That'd be wonderful. I would love that. I, I I would love that. But if what is best for him is to to go to the NFL draft and to get paid, which as we all know when you're playing in the NFL can be a very short period of time, then that's what's best for him and that's what I want him to do. I don't think anybody should begrudge Gabe for declaring a year early for the NFL draft. And I know there will be some people that do because they have a really warped sense of what college athletics is. These kids are not being paid. Gabe is not intending to do anything else other than play professional football. Why should he lose a year of doing that if he gets a good enough draft grade? I'm not here to tell him what a good enough draft grade is. I, you know, I would have in my head what I think would be good enough for him to leave, but, you know, which would be maybe bare minimum third round, but that may not be the case for him. And if it's not the case for him, then that's fine. If he wants to go early and, excuse me, declare for the draft, then go do it, young man. It has been an absolute, total, and complete pleasure watching him play football this year. Watching him 
dominate fools, catch passes. He's got other receivers that have no business catching, but he somehow does. It has been an absolute treat watching Gabe Marks play football this year. From where he came from the year before his red shirt to where he is now and who he is now. Just, you know, at his press conferences and everything about him. It has been an absolute treat to watch him play, to listen to him speak, to read his quotes, all of that. It's been wonderful. I selfishly want you back, Gabe, but if not, man, you do you. And the NFL and the NFL is going to be lucky. Whoever drafts you is going to be lucky to have you. <clears throat> CL Seahawks. <clears throat> you need wide receivers. A lot of them. <clears throat> what? Hmm? They need an offensive lineman, too. If they want to take Joe Dahl, I won't complain <laughs> about that either. <laughs> They're going to need somebody after you hopefully don't re-sign Russell Okung because somebody's going to pay him money and it better not be the Seahawks. We're getting off track here. Draft Joe Dahl and Gabe Mark Seahawks. That's all I'm saying. I would have, I would have two jerseys I could instantly buy. Jacob Thorpe coming up next. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Sun Bowl here on the Cook Center Hour. Here on the Coog Center Hour, one of two shows we're doing before the uh, El Sol Bowl. I th- it sounds even better in Spanish when you use the Spanish word for sun, even though it would be bowl de sol, I guess. Jacob Thorpe, I'm getting all mixed up on how I put verbs and where nouns go in Spanish here, so it's just easier to welcome you to the show. And you've been actually able to go to practice, which has been a rare thing this year because you're uh, not able to do that uh, most of the time during the regular season, if memory serves. So it's it's got to be at least kind of nice to go to some football practices uh, here in the bowl season. Yeah, you know, and it really kind of resets the season for us because it, it feels like fall camp. Everything's a little more open. We've been talking with some players. You, you have that week off after the Apple Cup. And, you know, the, it's interesting how bowl games really do seem like this separate entity. Uh, at the end of the Apple Cup, Mike Leach said, the off season starts tomorrow, and I guess it was a you know a one week off season, but that's sort of how they think of it. The players only lifted; they kind of got a mental break from football. We all sort of got a mental break from the season, and now it's now it's just like they've got this one game season against Miami, which is kind of a you know it's a, that's a pretty fun schedule. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I think everyone's pretty excited to get back after it. Uh, everyone uh, got a, got away from the dog days a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's fun to see them working out, doing some new things. And really because they, uh, they aren't pushing the upperclassmen too hard right now, it's nice to see some of these young guys mm-hmm. really uh, get to get after it and show the coaching staff some stuff. I want to get back to that point in just a second, actually, more about the young guys and kind of why these bowl practices are important. But just kind of your general sense of being close to the team, how do they feel about playing a team like Miami, a pretty legendary program in college football that obviously doesn't have the pedigree this year. They just fired Al Golden, but hired Mark Richt, and you know they're having a down year, but it's still the U. So these guys have probably got to think it's pretty darn cool to get to play Miami. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true. You, every player I've talked to about it has mentioned those thirty for thirty documentaries about the U, and you know they they kind of grew up in the uh, the perfect time because fourteen years ago when you know these guys were just starting to kind of watch college football a little bit maybe was when you know Miami had those just ridiculous early 2000 rosters mm-hmm. and so everyone was wearing Miami sweatshirts everyone was kind of all about the U back then and that was what these that was the first kind of that was college football royalty when they were figuring out what college football was and then all those college football players uh, were the NFL stars they watched growing up their entire lives. So I certainly think that, you know, I think the offensive linemen are very aware that they're going up against Warren Sapp's school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the cornerbacks know that this is where Andre Johnson, Kellen Winslow, Jeremy Shockey went. So, you know, I, I think it is, 
a really fun opponent for them. It's one they can get excited about. And uh, even though they didn't necessarily get in the Holiday Bowl or something like they wanted, they've still got this very premier program they get to play. And it's not one that they had all season last year to think about because, you know, college football schedules, they're, they're built so long in advance. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, you're playing, playing Boise next year. You know, you had Rutgers this year. This is this new surprise. Now we got to go play this fun ACC team that the Cougars have never played before. I want to. You, you touched on it a second ago about how the coaches are kind of not, you know, not necessarily letting the older guys uh, get away with not doing any work. They're obviously working hard to get ready for the bowl game, but that these bowl practices are more meant for the younger players on the team. And I think Jacob, that's the real value of these practices is for your younger guys just to get those 10, 12 more practices worth of reps in because it's invaluable when it comes to developing these guys. Again, not so much for the veterans who have had all this time in this system and they know it like the back of their hand, but for these younger guys, your Kyle Sweets, your Hercules Mata'afas, your Darian Moulton, those guys, that's who these practices are really for, aren't they? Well, not only even for those guys, but I think for the, for the red-shirting players, for the scout team players, those guys... They've been working primarily with, you know, with GAs. They, they, you know, the only real, you know, assistant coaches that have seen those guys are the defensive coaches that uh, watch them on scout team or vice versa. So this is the first time a kid like James Williams, who's had a great, uh, you know, great season on scout team, this is the first time that he's really been taking handoffs and stuff other than Thursday Night Football with Mike Leach right there watching him, coaching him, uh, evaluating him and you could tell I, I talked to him after the first practice and he was a little nervous I asked him I was like what was it like having Coach Leach right there and he was like man it's, uh, you don't want to mess up <laughs> so, you know, for these guys it's, you know they've spent all year in the football program of the football program but now they kind of see what it's like to be one of the one of the varsity guys one of the travel squad guys mm-hmm. the one who's going to be expected to contribute and I think that's an important step for these guys it's not it's not spring football. There's still urgency there. They've got recruits coming in. Uh, the older guys still practice for about the first half hour or so, and then they go lift. And so they, you know, they're in the middle of the season. They're out practicing in the cold with the with the coaches who are going to be coaching them next year. And it's not. It's time to audition, you know. And some of these players are maybe guys that step up and play in the bowl games. I mean, I don't think you burn anybody's red shirt. But if you remember the last time they played the bowl game down in 2013, Theron West. He had one carry all season for the Cougars, went mm-hmm. one yard against Utah, just was not a factor at all. Then he comes out in the bowl game, and you know I think he had three catches for 50 yards and a touchdown, three carries for 17 yards. He blocked, he blocked that punt yep. that set up a touchdown. Uh, you know, this is a chance for players that uh, maybe didn't, maybe didn't excel right away. They can really emerge in these practices because you know during the season. Yes, it's a competition every day, and yes, anyone can beat anybody out and what have you, but the reps are split up such that it's, you know, it, it's hard to break through a glass ceiling. It's hard for somebody who didn't come out of fall camp and earn some playing time to show the coaches, especially if those guys get sent to scout team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really wouldn't be surprising at all for me to see a guy like a, a Trayshawn Broughton or a, a Hunter Dale, someone who got a few snaps but wasn't really a factor much of the year. Mm-hmm. Now the coaches get another extended look at them. Now they, you know, there's kind of a clean slate, and they come out, have a great bowl game, and it sets themselves up for a really good offseason. Because if you remember, uh, you know, Theron West had that great bowl game, and then he was a he was a player for him next year. Yep. I want to talk about uh, one thing that folks want to know and want your observations on is Luke Falk is back in practice. Uh, obviously didn't play in the Apple Cup, uh, but he is back practicing. Uh, and you mentioned the older guys are only getting about a half hour of work in before they go lift. But in that half hour of work, does he look like the Luke Falk we we came to know this year? And does he look like, just kind of your observation, I know you're obviously a doctor, but you know, looks like he's over that concussion probably? Yeah, you know, he's over it. He was cleared. Uh, around last Friday, and then on Wednesday's practice, they also wanted to, you know, watch him extensively, and they, uh, you know, just to see how he reacted to everything. And you can see that they're being very cautious with him. Uh, to, to answer your question, does he look like the old Luke Falk? And, I mean, it's hard to tell. They're not really doing a whole lot of uh, tempo anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's completing a lot of passes against air. But you know, <laughs> they, they are being very cautious with him. They're, they've been pulling him aside and having him do footwork footwork drills with Graham Harrell while, uh, while someone videotapes it and while the rest of the team practices 
And, you know, you can tell that they really want to get him back up to speed, want to get him back into the rhythm of it. But they're going to use him a lot. They're not going to risk anything now, you know, a few weeks before the bowl game. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, I, I talked to him today. He seems very, very excited, very eager. Uh, you know, it was – I think he actually felt like, you know, not – obviously the, the injuries suck and being in the hospital sucks. But at the same time, I think he was kind of touched the way the team rallied around him. He said his phone had never been blowing up like that. And, uh, you know, he, he was kind of complaining about how the uh, the doctors uh, told him, well, you can't have too many visitors because you need to rest. Yeah. Uh, you need your sleep. That's the most important thing. But at the same time, they need to monitor him. So the nurses would come by and wake him up every two hours. I don't think he liked that very much. <laughs> that is... But I do think he liked all the love he got from yeah. the coaches and his teammates. And, you know, it's it's nice that when you uh, when you encounter some adversity, it's nice to see how many people have your back. Like when you're on a football team, they have your back. And uh, so I think he's he's eager to get back out there with his teammates like he is now. And I think he's, you know, really excited to play in a game. It's a good thing they don't do the uh, 10 cents per text like back when I was a kid because otherwise his, his poor parents get a, quite a shock on the phone bill uh, there the next month. But uh, that, that's a good thing. I want to talk about one other guy who uh, didn't miss the Apple Cup, but he was hurt at the end of it, uh, Mr. Gabe Marks. I talked about him a little bit uh, in our intro, Jacob, just about you know if he stays, that's wonderful, and I feel selfish for saying that. And if he goes, I wish him all the best, and I hope he makes a billion freaking dollars in the NFL and he goes to the Hall of Fame. Do you kind of have any insight on where you think he's leaning at this point? I mean, obviously we're still a month or and a half or so away from him really needing to make the decision here, but do you know kind of where he's leaning in terms of whether he's intending to stay in Pullman or whether he intends to declare for the NFL draft? Well, I don't think I can tell you where he's leaning, but I think leaning is still the correct term to use. You know, there was a mm-hmm. there was a report out uh, that he had he was coming back to the injury because it meant he wasn't going to be able to work out for teams that was going to prevent him from entering the draft. He was certainly coming back for his senior year. I get the sense that's a little premature. I think he's. I think it's probably correct. I think the injury probably sort of makes the decision for you. I think he was probably on the fence, and then that makes it a, a much easier decision. But that said, I don't think it's set in stone. I think he still is weighing the option that, well, you know, if if the GMs and the execs and the scouts tell me that it's not going to affect my draft stock that much, which was probably, you know, around the somewhere around the fifth round, mm-hmm. and that probably wasn't going to improve much with a big year next year. If some GMs tell him, hey, we were going to take you in the fifth round, we know you'll get back from this injury, so we'll probably still take you around the fifth round. I, I don't think it's impossible that he would leave. I think he probably won't leave, but I don't think it's impossible yet. So I don't think it's set anywhere. I guess I would say leaning towards staying, but that's not from his mouth. That's more just kind of my yeah. general sense and reading from what I'm hearing. Yeah, he's still got, like we said, he's still got some time to make that decision. And again, I whatever he wants to do, I would fully support him. I do feel kind of selfish wanting him back, though, but that's just... That, that's me. I want him to go make his money. But uh, let's talk about... I want to talk about one other uh, injured guy, Joe Dahl. Uh, what are you hearing about his status for this bowl game? I mean, obviously this guy's got a pretty good draft pedigree, so he doesn't necessarily need to play to improve it. Uh, what What do you know about uh, maybe his status to play against Miami here in a couple of weeks? Well, as of about a week ago, talking to some of his family members and such, uh, he was absolutely going to play. He uh, He's... Uh, you know, he's going to play in the senior bowl. He's ready to play in the bowl game. He's, he's raring to go. Uh, I'm not sure that the, uh, the timeline hasn't been pushed back a little bit for him getting back to practice. I still very much expect him to play in the bowl game, but it's, you know, I, I'm not quite as sure as I was a week ago. I think is the best way to say that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's still plenty of time for the bowl game. So he can, I'm sure if he was able to get in even, four or five practices beforehand, they would feel comfortable throwing him out there. He's Joe Dahl, he's, you know, second team USA Today All-American for a reason. He's had a very good year. Uh, mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. But you, you still need to let the guy get worked in a little bit. So, you know, I, it sounded like he was definitely going to play from what I was hearing. Now I'm a little less sure, but I'm, I would still feel pretty confident saying that I think he'll be ready to go by 26. I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that I think is kind of important, and even recruiting-wise, uh, maybe holds a little importance, Jacob, is that you saw three or five guys, rather, from this football team make the All-Pac-12 conference teams, first and second team. You had Falk, 
Marks and Dahl on the first team for offense. Then you had Paulo and Viao on the second team for defense. Do you kind of sense a, a greater confidence in these guys after getting those honors? Because, you know, it's something that, you know, we, we've had this happen before at Washington State, even in the last few years, but seeing that many guys get those honors and not just fall under honorable mention uh, has to be something that's, uh, you know, boosts their confidence a little bit uh, going into the bowl game and then into the off season. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's certainly a, it's a nice honor to have. And I think for the guys that maybe wouldn't expect it so much, you know, I think if you're a quarterback or you're a wide receiver, uh, you, you sort of, you know, you're getting stats, you're getting publicity every week. It's just one more thing. We know how bad Gabe Marks won at that Belitnikoff Award. I don't think an all conference is all that important to him anymore. But for, for a guy on the line, for, for, for a Daryl Paolo, who's the senior, it never really played much. I'm, I think that's probably a huge deal for Daryl, the fact that he got recognized as a second-team All-Pac-12 guy because he really wanted to have a big season this year. So that was very important to him. He'd, he'd really put in the work. He'd been in the trenches for four years for the program. And this year, he really kind of came into his own. So the fact that all these Pac-12 coaches uh, recognize that, I think, is probably very meaningful to him. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do think that the, uh, the Pac-12 coaches put a lot into their picks. Uh, you know, I kind of had the sense back when I was uh, in college or a kid and I saw the list come out of, you know, here's who the Pac-12 coaches voted for. I assumed it was like the coaches poll where it's some, gener- you know, it's some graduate assistant just kind of comes up with the list and then the coach maybe checks them off and that's it. But uh, from what I can tell, the coaches put a lot of effort into these all-conference lists, and uh, they must really, see, you know, the Oregon wide receivers must really do a great job blocking because they sure love those guys. <laughs> uh, they, um, you know, they they put a lot into it and for a, for a guy like uh, Daryl Paolo or Destiny Bayo to to get recognized like that. I, I think probably is very meaningful. Uh, Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review joining us here on the Coog Center Hour. Uh, I, I know that everybody was kind of hoping for a holiday bowl appearance. It didn't materialize. The bowl went with the brand name in USC. Uh, but kind of given where they were to start the year, and I touched on this a little bit as well, when you lose to Portland State, you end up 2-2 two and two after that Cal game. Everybody's just kind of down on this team including I think maybe some of the players would be fair to say but they rallied around came back won six of their final eight games this has got to be a pretty impressive showing for a football team who started out so poorly to get to a bowl game that yeah it's not up there in the upper tier for the Pac-12 but it's a bowl game with an awful lot of history and again as we touched on earlier a pretty marquee opponent uh, to be playing the day after Christmas oh absolutely like you said I mean I, I think anyone who hears you're, you're playing one of the oldest bowl games, uh, a bowl game that's been around for a very long time, has a lot of history against a, a Miami team out of the ACC. That's that's the kind of matchup you're hoping for because, you know, outside of the playoffs and a few of the New Year's Day bowls, the bowls are sort of all, you know, they're all over the place. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Foster Farms Bowl is hosting a 5-7 and seven Nebraska team. So why is, you know, why is Nebraska in a, in a higher tier bowl game? It's, it's really kind of random. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're actually playing against a Miami team that's won four of its last five games. It has a, a pretty dynamic personality in quarterback Brad Kaya. He's somebody that, you know, your average fan has at least seen on sports and a few times. People know who the Miami quarterback is. Yep. And, you're, you know, you're, well, El Paso and Christmas isn't everyone's first choice destination. <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of the bowl game, it's one people watch. It's one people have heard of and pay attention to. So, well, I think... You know, the Pac-12 maybe needs to get some better bowl games. I think the fact that, the, uh, like I said, the Foster Farms is hosting Nebraska after Nebraska's season this year is kind of ridiculous, and that's considered a, a better bowl, or that they get into a better bowl than all these Pac-12 teams that have yeah. better seasons. It may be something that Larry Scott might note. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think Washington State's bowl game is, is pretty good. Yeah. You get to. Uh, you're obviously going to follow the team down there. Uh, you flying into El Paso on Christmas, or are you going down for Christmas Eve and putting a tree up in your hotel room? Or are you do what? What are your travel plans right now for going to West Texas? What does it look like for Jacob Thorpe on Christmas? Uh, oh, uh, Thorpe's in there for the long haul. I'm flying in on the 21st. Wow. I'm the team by a couple hours, and uh, you know I don't know what kind of access we get, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dog him and try and get some notebooks out. 
uh, really, you know, see what it's like down there because you know they they bring him in pretty early. Yeah, and then they've got they've they've got a, they've got a military visit, they've got a hospital visit. I don't know if we're gonna be able to really cover those. I hope we can. I don't see why. It seems like you would want publicity for those things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, whether or not we're gonna find something to write about, and we'll be down there and we'll be talking to the locals and talking to the fans and seeing uh, what the what the temperature is on the Cougs. Hopefully, hopefully, is it warm in El Paso in December? I have no idea if it's warm or not down there. I would assume it is. It's southwest, but I know it snows in parts of New Mexico, too. So is it, like, warm down there at that time of the year, or is it still pretty chilly, or are you going to have to pack a coat? Well, I think for, for during the day, it will feel warm. I think, you know, we can expect something in the, in the 60s or mid-50s, and, you know, that'll, uh-huh. that'll be just fine after Pullman. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a desert, and deserts get pretty cold at night, so, uh, you know, I think it's one of those deals where you really just have to pack a lot of a wide variety of clothes, change them hourly. I don't, I don't want you to catch cold or anything. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't have to take, like, NyQuil every night just to get over your flu down there, okay, big fella? I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm, I'm like his mother right now. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review joining us on the Kook Center. Thanks, big guy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, we are joined. Uh, this I, I I like saying this. He's, this is only the second time he's been on since he has joined the website. But I like saying it's Kook Center's own, and he's free for your disposal. Britton Ransford joining us on the Kook Center Hour. Uh, Mr. Ransford, uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's uh, we got some good weather. Finally, no rain, and so it's been a good morning. No, I don't. I, I'm not sure if I believe this all the way through. I'll tell you that much. Uh, Let's start out with uh, just kind of overall right now, uh, we were talking uh, earlier about, you know, this is a very full recruiting class for Washington State already, and we'll get to the official visitors they had this weekend. They had a commitment this weekend as well. We'll get to all that in a minute, but this is, you know, for being still, I don't want to say early in the recruiting cycle, because obviously it ends in early February with the National Signing Day, but this is a pretty full-up class as we're getting down to the wire here, and I think maybe fuller than you would typically expect at this time of the year. I think there's like, what, something like 22 verbal commitments at this point uh, in this class. Yeah, so I mean, their new recruiting strategy, um, I don't think they expected to have this many already. I mean, they have a full book of official visits next month still with three current spots open. And so, um, yeah, it definitely filled up quite a bit. I'm not sure what they're saying or if the recruiting pitch changed and said, hey, you better get in and get a spot, you know. But, um, yeah, it's, they've had a great response to the recruiting trail. And, um, I mean, they, they picked up about 20 commits before they even had a, commit, a guy on campus. So, yeah. um, props to them. And it helps with having, you know, an, an eight-win season and um, seeing the offense do the things it was doing and improving on defense. And so, um, all good selling points. And the, everyone knows kind of about the facilities at this point. So, um, they have video and all that to be able to show recruits. Mm-hmm. I mean, previously they didn't have as much back content. They could be, hey, here's a picture of it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so it, all the news is getting out, but um, this is a, a pretty good place to come play football. Now, for those who maybe aren't familiar, just describe the new uh, strategy that these WSU coaches are employing because we know uh, last year when we, did our year when we did our yearly visit around signing day, there was quite a uh, – quite the little raid done on WSU recruits as they got close to signing day. So for those who aren't familiar, just kind of explain the coach's new strategy for hosting official visits and, and why they're, why they've chosen to go that direction with it. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, last year, right before signing day, kind of hurt with some, some coaching changes and stuff, but still, I mean, they, they were getting picked apart by, by schools that were looking to fill a position and um, maybe a school with more prestige that kind of fills an offer that way. And then, um, kind of opens a kid's eye up, says, hey, this is almost a dream offer for me. So 
Uh, what they really wanted to do was make sure they got, got a bunch of guys that are committed to playing football here. So they decided to move their official visits to after the season so they could spend more time with them one-on-one um, on campus rather than um, – they, they go down to Lewiston the day before a game. So that day or that night before the game, they don't have a lot of time to be with the, the, the prospects. Um, and then you're getting ready for a game on Saturday. And so what they really – they're giving up a little bit of that game day atmosphere plus of recruiting and then um, doing more of the face-to-face stuff. But they have chances now to go basically sit uh, a student-athlete in front of their prospective professors um, in the school choice that they're going to go in. And so that's, that's always been a huge selling point for them. Um, yeah, and so Leach just kind of really wants to uh, focus on the, the personal um, face-to-face interaction, getting to know a player and letting them get a chance to know them. And mm-hmm. I think uh, over the first two weekends, they've had a, a pretty good uh, response to it. Yeah, we had Liam Ryan commute or commute commit this weekend. Uh, he's an offensive lineman out of Laverne, California. That's near uh, L.A. And then the previous weekend, you had two more commits. So so far, Britain, uh, the whole holding off until after the season's over seems to be uh, working out pretty well for WSU. They had Robert Taylor last week, and they had another one as well, whose name is escaping me. But uh, so far, uh, this postseason, so to speak, commitment trail or uh, official visit uh, seems to be working out pretty well for them. Yeah, so they had uh, that weird Bartley out of Utah is what you're, you're mm-hmm. mentioning and he uh, received an offer right away from uh, Utah as soon as he got home. And, um, he basically kind of said hey, I'm, I'm fully committed. I, I love the staff. And So, I mean, that was uh, probably uh, music to the staff's ears to hear that after official visit when you get an in-state offer from the biggest school to state and uh, you kind of rebuff them for, for the, the school. You just spent 48 hours uh, wooing you, so that's pretty good. And then uh, this weekend, uh, Liam Ryan, 6'6", 270, left tackle, this massive um, prospect with just a huge frame that kind of just fits exactly how they recruited their offensive linemen through the years, and you've seen the success built there. Um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, all, all good stuff on that end. Um and then we have a kind of dead period coming up here, and then it'll start up again for uh, three more weekends. And, uh, and that's really when the recruiting push hits. You know, we talked about this a little bit before we started the interview, is that, you know, this now, what we're in right now is a, a dead period. You can't uh, have these guys on campus. They can't, you know, I you can go a little bit more in depth to exactly what it means, but basically your recruiting is effectively stopped for the better part of a month until after the national championship is over. So this next month is pretty much, we're probably not going to get too much recruiting news here in the next 30 days or so, are we? Because it just, it's just the nature of a dead period is just this because there's not really any contact between coaches and recruits. There's not a lot that can get done in terms of trying to woo people to come to your school. Yeah, there's, there's some electronic uh, communication, Twitter DMs, and all that, that that goes on. But other than that, it's, it's technically a dead period. It means um, no off-campus contact, and um, there's really not going to be a lot of recruiting. This is kind of a spot where the WC, I mean, the coaches are going to be focusing uh, most of their time on the, the bowl game, and then they'll get ready to kind of revamp it up after the holidays, and the, they're going to be on the road Monday through Thursday, and then mm-hmm. they're home on Friday morning, and then they're out Sunday. Yeah, and then, um, they do that over again, um, all the way up until the February fourth, I believe, starting day. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then they'll, they'll open up with a, a. I think it's a quiet period right now until Wednesday, and then it closes until January thirteenth. Opens back up on the fourteenth, which is a Thursday. They'll fly out to all their different um, priority recruits, uh, get in their living rooms, um, especially the ones that are going to be coming up to campus that week before. So they go there and usually. Um, let them know, like, hey, this is when you need to be at the airport. This is how things are going to go down. We're going to pick you up here. And then um, they'll uh, fly back up to Pullman. And well, I guess they usually stop at SeaTac and fly over to Pullman. So. And then, um, yeah, start all over again. <laughs> start it all over again. I think that's kind of the biggest thing right now is I, I, WSU has a lot of recruiting momentum. And we've been seeing some of these guys don't necessarily have – you know, other Pac-12 offers that they're necessarily choosing WSU over. But, Britton, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Last year, that's exactly the kind of recruit WSU had the flipping problem with was guys who had other big offers near the end. They chose to flip. And although the other offers some of these guys may have aren't quite as quote-unquote sexy, they're probably, you know, A, I would say certainly 
a better quality recruit than what Paul Wolf was bringing in. He was bringing in guys who had big sky offers, not at least Mountain West offers. But B, these guys are kind of players that coaches believe they can really kind of transform into Pac-12 players. And they're not going to be under a lot of siege in terms of these guys flipping late in the process. Yeah, so we, we haven't really hit the, the late offer part of the recruiting cycle where kids are flipping from other schools and then they're looking for spots and so they go look at Canada. But we haven't hit that part yet, so it's hard to tell um, mm-hmm. who's really being evaluated by who. You haven't seen many recruits posting things about other coaches coming into their living rooms and stuff. And what I like about this class is, yeah, sure, it doesn't have all of the, the massive Pac-12 and um, Big Ten and all those Big 12 offers uh, among the recruits they're recruiting. But it has a nice study. All of them have a good handful of five to six, at least group of five offers. And I think as a, as a whole, all 22 of them or 23 of them, they they, they have a very high floor. Um, they don't have to come in and play right away. They're literally just death pieces at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where you wanted to get. And so if they think they can develop these guys and um, – a lot of other schools will probably have them in um, the Mountain West schools. They probably want them to come in and play earlier, um, whereas WCU can kind of sit them down, put a bunch of weight on them, um, and then uh, slowly work them into the system. I think you've always seen the, the freshmen and the second-year freshman players uh, slowly decline um, over the last two years. And so I think you're going to continue to see that, and I, I think that's a good thing. So like you said, these guys are, at this point, it's pretty much just depth, and that's really what the coaching staff wants is, you know, these guys to come in and kind of take their time uh, to get nice and developed. But uh, they they do have a few, uh, probably the biggest one out there is that former offensive lineman at Michigan who's got uh, connections with Roy Manning. They do have some feelers out for a couple of big guys, uh, but we probably won't hear about the, at least for him, uh, for a while, correct? Yeah, so I'll touch on that. Logan Tully Tillman, he's a former four-star offensive tackle out of Illinois. Um, he committed to Michigan in the Chesna 13 class. Uh, Roy Manning, who was a, a coach there, kind of helped with his recruitment. So um, that's kind of the inside track that WSU has there. I mean, he did have some legal stuff, um, but that's obviously cleared up because they wouldn't be recruiting him um, without permission from uh, basically Bill Moose, um, similar to the Tavares Martin deal last year. And mm-hmm. so um, Roy Manning's been out to Michigan and uh, Ann Arbor and uh, visited him. He'll take an official visit to WSU on the 22nd or 25th. Mm-hmm. And then um, he's also visiting, he's visited Ole Miss, and then he's also visiting Miami the week before he visits WSU. So <laughs> I'm going to win the Sun Bowl. Obviously, gets his commitment. <laughs> I would like, you know, Mark, Mark Richt is just going to be working that phone down in the, on the beach in Miami for him. I think that I, I, I don't blame him if he goes to Miami. It's a very lovely place down there. But uh, Joe Robbie Stadium is a long way from campus or anything. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll be butting up on probably National Signing Day next time we talk. Because like we said, nothing really going on here too much the next month or so. Because contact very limited. And so you're not going to get a lot out of guys committing or anything like that. What's kind of crucial for the coaches once we like uh, once we get out of this dead period in the middle of January? Is it calling current commits and you know making sure they know that the school's still committed to them and they want them on campus? And then also you know obviously worrying about filling those other spots. Just kind of give us a overall picture of what the coaches are going to be doing once that dead period's over. Uh, kind of with everybody that's in the class. Yeah, I think this uh, this is a perfect time for them with how many commits they have to kind of go through the commitment list and see, hey, do we want this guy to gray shirt? Um, where are we standing with this guy? And then um, building up their, their priority recruits heading into January. Um, also probably putting together a list of kids that um, might be hearing from other schools. And then so they, um, will, they won't want to get them on the phone or get in front of their family in their living rooms. Um, so they'll have a plan. As soon, and then as soon as that opens up, I mean, they're, they're on planes. They're out. To, uh, to wherever those priority recruits are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, like, I mean, uh, Justice Rogers and uh, Jalen Thompson, they'll be already on campus. So that's two commits that are basically already in as mid-year enrollees. Um, and then you're also looking at the, the mid-year signing day, so there's still some recruiting going on over the next two days. This is the mid-year um, junior college signing day is Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a couple guys that are interested there, too, that visited defensive linemen, so we'll know a little bit more about that in the next couple of days. That'll pretty much wrap it up for um, recruiting until middle of January, and um, like I said, they'll, they'll get in there, and then they'll, they'll 
out your numbers and figure out who's in and who's not. That, and that's kind of like the wildest three weeks of, of the year for coaches, right? Because there's so much going on, so much changing in those three weeks. And even though you think you know with everybody, you truly don't know until that fax machine lights up that morning that those guys are coming to campus. Yeah, it's silly season for sure, man. It's uh, <laughs> Those three weeks are pretty crazy. I mean, I, I can, can only imagine how crazy it is for uh, the coaches. I'm just sitting at a desk with a phone. Um, so it's uh, it, it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a lot less interesting than um, it's been, and that's a good thing because I think you got a lot of kids here that are committed and really see what they they uh, were, were sold on WSU throughout the year. And so mm-hmm. um, the, a lot of them still have to get on campus and see it. And um, Holman's not for everyone. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, they all had a lot of visits to come. Um, you get 53 in a cycle, and they've used about 11 of them. So you can kind of see Jeez. how busy January is going to be the, the three weeks. And yeah. there'll be midweek visits, too. They've still got. They've still got how, how many official visits to use? Forty-two, if they want. Yeah, they, there should be. They're close to about forty more official visits to do if they choose to use them. You get fifty to be a cycle. She- <laughs> I guess yeah, it'd be, it'd be more like thirty something. Yeah, that's. I'm amazed by that. That that's that's some good recruiting that you get these kids wanting to come to campus without ever actually getting them to campus for an official visit. That's pretty damn impressive. So. Oh, man. All right, Britton Ransford, uh, we're going to talk to him again once silly season starts, but uh, even for the next month, he even gets to take kind of a little bit of a break, too, and that's that's got to be nice for him. He can really kick back, eat some mac and cheese, and drink some red wine. I know he's really looking forward to doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More Kook Center Hour coming up next. Stick around. This is the spot of the show where we would ordinarily do Dunderhead of the Week, but uh, I, I don't want to do that this week, and it's not like for a you know a special sappy reason or anything like that. But uh, it's also been well, part of it is I, it's been two and a half weeks since we did the show, and I can't really think of a Dunderhead. Um, but I want to I, I want to stress something to students at WSU who may be listening to the show. We love that you guys listen first of all, and please share it with everybody on campus because you know living in a dorm is. You know, just pump it out in the dorm. Loudspeakers outside your door so everybody can hear it. It won't get totally annoying at 4 in the morning. It's, it's finals week this week, and this is always the week where everybody rushes to get home because it's Christmas, and I totally get that. But please, you've been studying all week. It is difficult. You're tired, and you're worn out. Take an extra day to stay in your apartment, to stay in your dorm, get some rest, relax, pack, and then go home the next morning. It seems like every year we hear about an accident or a fatal accident with a student who was too tired to drive. Corey McKay, a former football player at WSU, he fell asleep at the wheel after driving home from finals, was paralyzed. I believe... Three students, two or three students, were killed in fatal accidents the last few weeks. Guys, 26 and 195 are, you know, fine roads for what they are. But, you know, nine to ten weekends a year, they get really busy. And this is kind of like one of those weeks. And especially with how bad the weather is. And I know you may want to hit a window at the pass where, you know, you got to get over the pass by. And I can appreciate that. But, guys... Your, your family would want you to just stay an extra night. If it means your safety, if it means that, just stay an extra night. You're going to be at home for three weeks regardless. Okay, you're not back in school until like January 9th or something. You know, like it's like a week after January even starts. You're going to be home for a few weeks anyway. You're going to get sick and tired of it about a, right after Christmas. You're going to get sick of it. Okay, please, 
after your last final, even if it's in the morning on like a Thursday or something, take the day, relax, pack, eat, go drink, because the bars aren't going to be crowded, right? So go get a drink, relax, next morning, wake up refreshed, awake, and then drive home. Even if you're just driving to Spokane or the Tri-Cities, you're not driving all the way over the mountains, please do that. I want everybody getting home safe for the holidays. It's the only thing we want, and we care about all of you. So please, get home safe for the holidays. The last thing anybody wants is for a family to be dealing with something tragic around Christmas, Hanukkah, what have you. Okay? Please be safe. I swear to God, I'm not trying to be your dad right now. Okay? Just please do that. Promise. All right. Ask Michael anything. Coming up right now. As usual, many goodies. I think people have been saving them up for a couple weeks since we did our last show. Uh, at Donnie Out West, Donnie Turnbaugh, I have not participated in this nearly enough this week, so favorite type of frozen waffle I, I standard go with like blueberry right and I'm, I'm a big frozen waffle guy because it's just an easy snack easy thing for uh, you know morning uh, breakfast or you don't have a snack I would just go I like just the plain ones like not ego Trader Joe's makes like this wheat one that's really really good so it, it's pretty delicious I like that I put cream cheese and syrup on mine I don't know if that's like heretic or you know like really bad but I like cream cheese on mine at Kugzukug, what's your stance on Gonzaga ending the series? I made this pretty well publicly known. I think it's BS. They say they want to play better teams, and then they went and played Montana, almost lost to them, and they lose to UCLA and Arizona. You can't play with the big boys. Why are you ending the series? I don't really get it. At random villain Ryan, most exciting way to end the game, field goal block return for a TD, Hail Mary, or multiple lateral kick return and why? We've seen all of those this year, right? We saw Georgia Tech do the uh, block return for a TD, the Hail Mary, and the, or the Hail Mary's happened a couple times, and then the multiple lateral kick return. I would, I, I would still have to go with the Hail Mary because you're so, so nervous about it happening and it's just you know you're so nervous about the possibility and then the payoff if you're on the winning team obviously is incredible that field goal block you don't really think is going to happen and it's just like it's you know it's so completely random that it, it takes you by surprise so I guess from that standpoint it's better but I would still have to go with probably the Hail Mary I know it's very traditional but that's what I would go with Shane Farm D at Wazoo Cougar X is there any pie in the world better than Costco pecan pie? Yes, key lime pie. Made by anybody. I don't like pecan pie. I'll be honest with that. And again, I know we're creating food controversies on the Coop Center Hour. That's what we're known for, but man. From our own Brian Anderson at B17 Anderson. Be sure to follow him. He's, he's so... This man knows more about football than I've forgotten about everything in my life. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings is making a Mountain Dew wing sauce. This is a bad idea. If you can invent any wing sauce, what would you create? First of all, that is an awesome idea. I had no idea this was happening. I love Mountain Dew because I'm still 17 years old. If I could invent any kind of wing sauce, what would I create? Man, that is a really tough question to answer. Because all, all the good wing sauces are pretty much already covered, right? I mean, like, we've got everything. Ooh, key lime wing sauce. Yeah. You get that would be way too sweet and spicy. <laughs> key lime wing sauce. There you go. The Martin Party. Defend Pullman. Who wins the Tacho's Player of the Year Award on defense and offense? We're a big proponent of Tacho's here on the Coop Center Hour. I like how we bring it all back to food. That's really important here. I think you got you to get, like, somebody, you know, like, that's just... You know, is always dependable, always there for you. You know, kind of beefy, just like Tachos usually are. I'd have to go with Joe Dahl wins it on the offense. Then it probably Destiny Viao on the defense. It's probably got to be a big guy, right? Just because Tachos are so hard to eat. Like, that's 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 how it's got to be. Uh, at Boyd Wonder, Chris Boyd, does Assemble have a prerequisite that the game be played during daylight hours? I don't think so. Maybe? That's something I'm not familiar with. And then I have a question for my sister. Is Edgar going to make it in the Hall of Fame this year? I wish he would, but 
Probably not. Probably not. Christmas week episode next week before the Sun Bowl. We're coming back for it here on the Kook Center Hour. In the meantime, get some shopping done. I know you're behind. I am. <laughs>